Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Sonia Hartnett is one of Australia's most well-known authors. She's written books for both children and adults and received numerous prizes and awards. She started writing when she was 13 and her first book, Trouble All the Way, was published when she was just 15. Her three most awarded books are the young adult novels Sleeping Dogs and Thursday's Child and the book for adults of a boy. In 2008, she was awarded the Astrid Lindgren Memorial Award, the world's biggest prize for children's and youth literature. In 2006, she published Landscape with Animals under the pen name Cameron S. Redfern. It attracted some controversy because of its explicit sex scenes and the fact that Hartnett tried to keep her authorship of the book a secret. Her latest books are the adult novel Butterfly, the children's picture book The Boy and the Toy, and later this year in 2010, she'll release The Midnight Zoo, another children's book. Sonia, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, you very famously started writing at a very young age and published your first book, Trouble All the Way, when you were 15. Did you always know from when you were young that you wanted to be a writer? I enjoyed writing when I was young, from about the age of about nine, when I first discovered that, you know, you actually could sit down and write a story if you wanted to. Um, but I, I have never technically wanted to be an author or, a, or you know, I never had any ambitions of, of spending my life this way. It's kind of just been what I, I fell into doing, mm. which seems a shame because, I, you know, in the course of so many years, I've met so many people who would love to um, have had the sort of ride through life that I have had. Mm. And, and yet my... I've lived this completely unexpected and really un, um, unwished for existence. And so um, what prompted you at the time, what gave you the confidence to to send your book to a publisher and to think, you know, this could be it? I think the fact that I was 14 <laughs> had a, a huge part in it. Um, you know, when you're 14, you don't really know enough about the world to be aware of how badly you can fail at something. I mm. think the sheer balls that you have when you're a teenager uh, got me through. But at the same time, I didn't expect that they would accept it. I think I sent it in more. It was one of my friends who encouraged me to do it. But but that doesn't mean that I... Um, I, I guess I felt that if I... If I sent it to them, it would just be kind of almost something to do, you know, something to fill the time and to see what they would say. Right. And it it was never anything that I it had any expectations or hopes that it would pan out that, you know, a hundred years later I would be having a conversation mm. about my life as a writer. Mm. So then obviously you finished school and did what teenagers do. At what point did you think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a full-time writer? 
uh, it didn't come for until years later, really, until mm-hmm. I reached the age where I had to concede that I was unemployable as anything else, really. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't come until... I, I guess looking back on it, and I'm actually in the middle of writing the Redmond Barry speech for the State Library this year, which in which I have spent the last week or so really concentrating my mind on my history as a writer. And I've noticed that there's been a few... It's not been so much as one occasion where I accepted my fate, but but I've had to do it in sort of small stages. And one of them came when I was about 24 and the other one came when I was about 34. And <laughs> the last one had to come when I was about 30. I guess when I finished working at, at like having any outside employment was when I really realised that I was never going to do anything else, which was about the age of about 36. Right. So it was a slow process. Yeah, it has been a slow process. And even to this day, I I toy occasionally with the idea of thinking, maybe I should go and study medicine or vet science or something. But I know in my heart, as I've always known in my heart, that I just am way too lazy to do anything like that. I just, mm. I, I couldn't go back to school. And I um, am way too steep now in sp- spending a great deal of my life just sort of pottering around and and having my mind think about things that are no way as demanding as that side. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us about when you do potter around, potter around and think of these things and think of your idea for the next book. Tell us about that sort of gestation period and how do you typically draw on your ideas and your themes that you that eventually end up in a book? Well... I've always thought that the the best way to... I mean, I always write about something that interests me in one way or another. And I and I guess my interests are quite varied. And yet at the same time, I think it's also fairly easy to judge by looking at my books what I'm not interested in. So I, I, I don't write about sport and I don't write about politics and I don't write about oh, this, that and the other. But I'm, I'm interested in relationships. I'm interested in nature, I'm interested in death, I'm, I, I'm interested in what I see when I walk out the front door, basically, of the street. Mm. Um, so I, I tend to think, all right, what is the thing that's interesting me at the moment? And I mean, say, so the, the book I'm trying to, currently trying to put together in my head is something about um, the, the princes in the tower. Mm-hmm. which is a subject that's interests me for years and years and years and years and years. It's got history in it. It's got um, dark deeds in it. It's got two children. It's right up my alley, really. Mm. So, And I just figured that the time has come to concentrate my thoughts about that, that particular subject and use it. And um, so then you kind of think, all right, I don't want to write about the princes themselves, but what will I write about? that can somehow tie that subject into it. And you very, very gradually over the course of, sometimes it can be over the course of minutes or hours or sometimes it can be over the course of weeks or months and sometimes with a book like, say, The Silver Dog here, it took me years to put that book together and then it all came together when I was lying on the hotel bed in London one day but I'd been thinking about it in bits and pieces for a good 20 years. Mm. 
So we, you've written children's, you've written young adults, you've written adults. Do you have to, how, what do you do to switch hats? What do you do to get yourself into, you know, a different mindset really for a different market? Uh, I don't really have to do anything. The books come to me, the stories come to me, and I just write them, basically, to put it very simply. Indeed, I mm. it, there's no, no conscious necessity to change hats. It's, if I think, all right, this book is going to be about um, the princess in the tower, it just feels like it will be a book for children. Mm. Uh, sometimes along the way the writing gets a bit, um, you know, a, a book that I think might be a book for teenagers gets turned into a book for adults. And But it's the book that does that, not not me. It's the story that does it. I, once I put a lot of thought and a lot of organisation into the planning of a book, a mm. book tends to write itself to a great degree and I just am there doing the donkey work of typing it <laughs> onto the page. Mm. And um, so... So the books change their own hats. It's almost like, well, there's never a queue of books. I'm not the sort of writer that has that plans that has a lot of books on the go, or mm. or indeed a lot. I only work one book at a time, mm. or or even plan one book at a time or anything like that. But so I don't have a queue of ideas waiting mm. to be written about. But the books have organized themselves in a very orderly sort of fashion as they they come to my mind and then they leave it and that, that leaves space for the next one which comes complete with its own mm-hmm. intended audience. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, Is it easy ways, for you? <laughs> in some ways it's easy but I, I know that when I explain it that, that does, it, it leaves out the fact that I've been doing this for many, 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 many years and I have taken a lot of stumbles along the way and I've learnt things very much the hard way Mm. and so when anything comes easily to me it's only because there was a lot of years when it didn't come easily to me but I have really trained myself to be a professional writer Mm. and I have refined my craft well I'm continuously trying to refine my approach to the craft so that it is easy and professional, mm. that it's not, that I don't do, waste a lot of time or, um, you know, I just think that if, once I made my commi- the commitment that I was going to do this probably for the rest of my life, mm. I, um, I I went about finding ways to, to make it proceed in a very orderly, clean kind of fashion, that it would be, give me as least difficulties as it can. Very efficient. But, <laughs> but don't worry, it's still... Um, you know, now and again, I will still bash my head against the laptop and go, what, what, what next? <laughs> so what would you say is the most challenging thing for you as a writer? What's the most challenging part of the process? Well, I'm not good at plots, that's for sure. It's been my lifelong weakness. I um, I can think of the subjects that I would like to write about, but how I'm going to go about putting them together into a story is is where I stumble. And that is what a lot of the pottering involves. I think of the initial idea and then I potter and potter until I can think of enough associated ideas to make a plot. Plot mm. is my great um, Achilles heel. Mm, mm. 
I could never be a um, a writer of airport novels or anything like that. It would just be beyond me. <laughs> so tell us about, because you are a full-time writer, professional writer, do you have a, and that takes discipline, um, do you have a particular writing routine that you stick to or any any sort of daily rituals or anything like that to get yourself into the zone? No, I tend to, well... If I have any sort of daily, or I guess for me it's kind of more like a, a sort of yearly ritual that in that I proceed in the, the way I operate, it turns in a great circle and, and the circle takes about a year to, to turn. Right. Um, I, I certainly don't write every day. In fact, I only, these days I only write when I have to. I, right. I left long ago, long behind me, the the either desire or reason to write every day I it's it's something I do to earn my money these days mm. I still enjoy it but really it's it's my income and like anybody I only perform my job my income making job when I have to <laughs> but um, so I spend a great deal of any sort of given set of 12 months Pottering around and, and trying to come up with the ideas, but then once I have enough ideas, I I tend to get my act together very quickly, and I will storyboard out the book, and then I will start, and then during the writing process, I'll work in the morning, and then I take uh, a good chunk of the early afternoon off to do things that I mean I live by myself, so I have to run a house, I have to tend to three animals, I, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things that need to get done. I need to cook, I need to clean, I need to wash my clothes, I need to vacuum. Mm. Um, and then in the afternoon I'll return to the book and I and during the course of those two sessions over each day I'll revise what I've done the day before and I will think about what I've got to do the next day. Mm. And, but, and then I allow myself sort of the, after, the evening to just watch telly or go out to dinner or whatever I want. Mm. It used to, I used to spend a lot of time um, if I was working on a book, sort of fretting about, oh, I shouldn't be watching telly, I shouldn't be cooking dinner, I shouldn't be vacuuming the floor. But I have found that it gives me sort of more mental peace if I allow myself the freedom mm. and the right to sort of do those things while I'm also doing a book. Mm. But I will, and and then basically I will stick at the writing of the book and follow that sort of daily routine until the book is done. Mm. And then, well, I'm allowed about two minutes of peace Think, well, that was that was good. That's finished. That's an achievement. And then the whole gruesome process starts all over again. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that you storyboard the book at the start. How important is that process to do for you at the start? Because some writers say that they don't do it all and they they just let let the ideas come out and see where it takes them, kind of thing. Which uh, is the storyboarding process and that sort of plotting process, even though you say that's not your strength, very important to you? Mm. I developed it when I was in my late teens. I did three years of majoring in film at media at um, RMIT Mm. and learnt to storyboard books then. But I didn't employ storyboarding on my novels until many, many years later and indeed many books later. But now I... It's part of the professional approach that I have to the writing of the book. Mm. In the past, I wrote the way you just mentioned that a lot of writers do, which is to start and to see what happens. But I 
I think that's kind of the way, personally, I find that kind of an amateur way to approach mm. writing, particularly, well, if you're doing it in order to be able to pay your bills and live from day to day, then it's an amateur way to, to write and yeah. it's not a guaranteed, you don't have a guaranteed product come out of that kind of style of method of writing. You know, you can run out of ideas, you can mm. write your whole story and it turns out to be only five pages long, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't have the time nor the patience for that kind of messing around. If I start a book, I absolutely want it to be able to, to, to come out as a finished product. I insist on it. It, it has to be. It's, you know, it, it has to happen. Mm, so mm. the storyboard is a kind of guarantee that it will happen. Because, you know, sometimes it is quite, people go, oh, isn't that a boring kind of way to write? And, yeah, sometimes it is a bit boring of a way to write. There's satisfaction each time you get to tick off another, story, another card in the storyboard and say, yep, that bit's done. Mm. But, um, yeah, it is, it's a very much a join-the-dots process. But I'm not in here, to, I'm not in this business to mess around. Mm-hmm. I don't. If it's boring, well, so be it. But at least it's, um, at least I know that when I get to the end of all this time and trouble and effort, I'll have a manuscript mm-hmm. to show for it. It's a very... Um... Uh, disciplined approach. Um, tell us about your about your adult novel Butterfly, and um, a little bit about how that book came about. Um, Butterfly was. I was writing a book about the Great Flood, actually, and it just wasn't going. Even though it had its storyboard, and I knew that it was quite a strong story, it just wasn't. It wasn't grabbing me. I wasn't in the mental sort of state at the time, or emotional kind of state to be writing anything really, Mm. but particularly something that I found quite claustrophobic to write, you know, they're they're in the middle of the flood on a raft, Mm. and it just, and it was continuously raining, Mm. (laughs) and it was just, I just found it quite sort of drear to write, and um, I wasn't feeling any kind of power or pleasure behind it. And it's very unlike me to let a book get the better of me. I haven't done that for years and years and years, but in the end I just went, oh, this book, I've got to put this book aside. It's driving me to my grave, but that doesn't mean that I will let myself off the hook to write nothing. I thought the only thing that I really feel like writing is something that takes me back to being a kid and something that's not going to be every minute of my of, of Sitting at the book requires the concentration to think, all right, it's raining, the characters are wet, there's no, nothing to look at. Um, let me have something that rests my mind a bit more. So I wrote, I thought, okay, I'll write this book about being 14 and being in the suburbs. But uh, I quickly realised as I put the story together that it actually wasn't going to be so much about a 14-year-old as about the people around her, but that she would just be the way into the book. Mm. Um, and it was, in, I wrote it nonetheless under very sort of difficult physical conditions. My The house I was living in, I was doing a major renovation, adding a second story and having the whole back of the house knocked down. So mm. every day the builders would arrive at like quarter past seven. Mm. I had for almost the entirety of the writing of it, no ceiling and very few walls. 
and no kitchen, bathroom or toilet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> or laundry. And it, well, the good thing about it was that it sort of meant I didn't have to do things like vacuuming. <laughs> it was, um, but I also had to change my routine a little bit. I had to get up early. I could I could write from about five to se- till seven in the morning, and then the entire day till about four o'clock was just um, dead time writing wise because the builders were there, the radio was on, the hammering was going on. There was all sorts of things happening. Decisions to be made about the renovation continuously. And so, and then in the evening when they left at about four, I could do a couple of hours then. So I had great swathes of the day when the book was very, very far from my mind. Mm. And it took a long time to write because I could only chip away at it like that in mm. tiny, tiny little little segments. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, it was relatively well behaved. It wasn't a book that um, whose writing really engage me or it wasn't in, in total a book that really that I some some books you really love and and really enjoy writing and others are sort of more journeyman pieces and I have to say that Butterfly was one of them. Mm. Which, um, which book sorry? have you loved? Uh, some of them I've loved have been and why? Uh, I've loved of a boy, I've loved the mm-hmm. silver donkey. I've loved one um, that's coming out in August called Midnight Zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what makes the difference really between ones you love and ones you don't. Although those three books that I just named all have young children as their central characters, but and I quite enjoy writing from the point of view of a child, a little child, mm-hmm. or having them as my main characters. It just gives you a kind of freedom and a a quirkiness in the book that that. An, an adult character doesn't. Mm. Um, I love the ghost child as well, though, and that's about a very old woman. Um, it's, it's impossible, kind of. You certainly can't guess which ones you're going to love. Mm. It just turns out that some books will really um, want to help you and write themselves, and there's very much a sense that they are already written in space somewhere, and mm. all I am doing. I, rec- I have to put in almost no effort whatsoever I, except to move my fingers on the keyboard. The story just comes to me like a seed from a UFO. Wow. Um, and those are the ones I love. The less, In general, I have found that the less work I have to do, the better I like it. Right. <laughs> um, but, but Butterfly wasn't like that, even though it was all storyboard and everything. Yeah. Nonetheless, a, a book can still be quite hard work if the sentences... Um, don't run together as as nicely and as smoothly as you might hope. And even so, even something like in the Midnight Zoo, for instance, right in the, the later drafts, I had to insert quite a big um, addition to something to to right towards the end where it was going to be difficult. But the book just opened itself up and said, here you go, put that in. Right. But with a book like Butterfly, if you have to do something like that, it's going to be more problematic, you know. Mm. So so anyway, it, and it was quite unpleasant, I have to say, trying to concentrate on being 14 again. That mm. wasn't very nice either. Mm. So. And, and your book, um, Landscape with Animals, mm-hmm. attracted some controversy because you wrote under a pseudonym. Um, why did you choose to write under a pseudonym? Um, as I was writing it, 
I was in two minds about whether it would come out under a pseudonym or not. Mm. Uh, but as soon as I showed it to Penguin, to Bob Sessions, the publishing director there, he said, I, it, there's no question it has to come out under a pseudonym. Don't even think otherwise. And I said, what's your reasons? Mm. Are they matching mine? And he said, well, because the last thing a writer like you needs whose work is forever... You know, my whole career has been plagued by this. Who do you write for and where are the books placed in the bookshop? And, mm. you know, if I have to answer those sorts of questions for the rest of my life, I just, I just fill me with despair. But, um, but he said, if you have a book with the title Animals, the word Animals in the title, you are going to get librarians that are going to go, oh, this is a Sonia Hartnett book. She writes for teenagers and children. We'll stick it in the teenagers and children section. Mm. And he goes, and that um, could be potentially a disaster. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. I mean, I wasn't in any way surprised when he said that this was the reason um, this is what would have to happen. So, uh, you know, people have accused me of, of writing it under a pseudonym because in a, a sort of pathetic attempt to generate kind of controversy or attention or whatever, but that... Yeah is um, not at all how it was. I'm quite proud of that book. It was, sometimes you sort of test your abilities as as a writer, and that was certainly a book that I thought, this is going to take from me every ounce of ability that I have, mm. as indeed the, write, the writing books for children as well. Mm. So they make for an odd pair, <laughs> um, <laughs> writing books for children and writing pornography, basically. Um but uh, but I I um, would go back to having it would go to having it under my own name in a flash. Would are you planning to write more though under a pseudonym? I don't think so. Right. But you never you know never say never. You don't know. I mm-hmm. I really because I work um, one book at a time in a sort of twelve month cycle and don't think about the next 12 months that will follow it, it's always a surprise to me what comes along as much as a surprise to anybody else. So right. I don't know. I might have 10 pseudonyms by the time the decade is out. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like you're able to tap into this divine sort of wordsmith or divine font of ideas that, that, that just run through you and come out on the keyboard. Uh, well, it sounds easy maybe, but it's about... And sometimes it can be. Sometimes I surprise myself. But I, I think everything um, stems from the fact that I've been doing this for mm. my entire life. Mm. And if I wasn't, if I hadn't devised ways of making it at least sound easy, <laughs> then I would be doing um, something wrong. I think even a brain surgeon or somebody that does the most difficult job in the world has ways of describing it that make that belie the difficulty behind it. Mm. Um, if I have a book that comes to me from outer space and I don't have to put any effort in, it's only because I've written books where every single word has been a screaming, agonising effort. <laughs> um, and what then would your tips be to aspiring writers in order for them to, you know, become as prolific and efficient as you and, and to write better? What would the main things be that they should be thinking about? I think, first of all, you must read and read and read and read and read and read. Mm-hmm. I read 
everything that crosses my path. I'll read ads in the newspaper. I'll read, you know, the public notices column. I read any piece of rubbish about things that have no interest to me whatsoever. I'll read, um, you know, reviews of new cars and stuff, although I actually do quite like cars. Um, I I think that it's absolutely important to to have as broad a general knowledge as you possibly can and as broad a... a an idea of what words are capable of doing mm. as you can possibly have. It wasn't until I started to read really adventurous kind of writers that I it really got through my head that writing, you can write anything you like. Mm. You don't have to stick to any sort of tame formula or anything like that. You can approach a book in any way that you can think of. Mm. Um, so you must read and read and read and read, and and you must have a lot of interest in life. You must find a great deal of things interesting, um, and I think you must never accept defeat, right? Because it, you know, it's an industry where defeat looms, and it's a it's a it's a craft and an industry where mm. defeat looms continuously. It's always there, just a, a small sideways step away. And you have to, and I think you've got to learn that if you actually fall into that quagmire of defeat, you can pull yourself out of it again. Mm. If one book gets turned down, that doesn't mean that you are finished. Mm. On the other hand, um, I also think that maybe people should be perhaps a bit more accepting of the fact that not, not everybody can do it. Mm. It's, it is a, a craft that we are widely encouraged to believe is accessible to anybody who can pick up a pen and a piece of paper, whereas mm. I think that is kind of degrading and demeaning to the, to the art. I mean, no other art form is treated in that way. Mm. Not everybody believes that they can um, paint a picture or, uh, you know, how many pe people do you know? And I do a bit of art painting and drawing myself. And so many people over the, my life I've heard say, oh, I can't draw for nuts. But you never hear anybody say that, basically. Um, and none of most of us can swim, but we don't all go around thinking that we can swim as well as Ian Thorpe or anything <laughs> like that. So I I do think that if you... If you plan to be a writer, you have to have, if you hope to be a writer, then you have to have talent to be it. Mm. And if you don't have the talent, then maybe you should accept it. Mm. Talent and discipline. Oh, yes, discipline as well. Um, see, I, I guess I've lived my whole life doing this. And when people mm. say, oh, you're very disciplined, I, it, it doesn't really make absolute sense to me because this is just the way I am. Mm. I, I don't, I'm not aware of myself as being disciplined, mm. but certainly uh, the books don't write themselves, that's mm. for sure. Mm -mm. If you want to write a book, then you've got to sit down and do it. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Sonia. That's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au 
or visit me on my personal website, www.valeriekoo.com. That's Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.